welcome to Talkie Talk, the podcast for the MediaBias.com. Joining me today is David. Hello. Brent. Hello. TJ. Hi. And it's me, Chris. And we are still recording remotely via a video conferencing app because we're not allowed to touch each other. A uh, little, little inside baseball. Whenever we record Talkie Talk, we do it with our fingers in each other's mouths the whole time. Just like one circle jerk fish hook maneuver. Gross. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. Uh, that was more than it needed to be. <laughs> now yeah. I'm having to put my finger in my own mouth. It sucks. <laughs> but we are gathered here today to talk about uh, the uh, holy occasion that is the watch list. Uh, and we'll talk about what we've been watching. We'll talk about what's coming out on video on demand. A theater in home, I think, is something that Amazon's calling it. A bunch of different companies calling different things. Either way, our what to watch segment, and then we'll talk a little bit of breezy. But to get started, let's hear about the watch list from Brent first. Uh, I really don't have much to uh, to talk about. I haven't really watched a whole lot this week. I, I've I've just been rewatching the MCU, and uh, I've uh, gotten to what I think is the best era of the MCU which kind of starts with um Guardians 2 it's basically 2017 on okay. um i i really haven't had wildly different experiences with most of the MCU movies as i've rewatched them uh i i've i guess i've some have gotten a little better for me i think uh like the winter soldier still is stands up it's a really good modern uh, action movie that's reminiscent of sort of like the the Jason Bourne action movies uh, of the the century um but like civil war it, not quite the same for me um yeah. because boy that movie is long and bloated and uh i i think i remembered the airport fight as being amazing and it is but that's a movie that just doesn't uh i don't know i i don't really completely by the the division as much as i did like say in the comics and i hate to be and i'm I'm normally not one of those people who's just like well the comics did it better but right. the uh i thought the the reason for the fallout in the comics was you know it's it's about some they inspire some new superheroes to try to band together and, and fight crime and those superheroes accidentally you know blow up something significant and kill a bunch of people and that i think was more impressive as a, as a reason to divide the Avengers then I don't know I feel like the world should have probably appreciated what they did in Sokovia because Ultron was pretty dangerous so I don't know right. it was mm-hmm. it was less easy for me to buy into but um on my rewatch of that Brent I couldn't agree more but then I feel like that story was there right like of Ultron was created by the Avengers so like mm-hmm. but they don't really touch on that enough in Silver War of it being like it's it's more like an inner struggle with Tony Stark and not something that the Avengers as a whole are like, this was our fault. Right. So yeah. and then it doesn't really, the fight doesn't really happen because it's just Tony arguing with himself. You know what I mean? Plus the pressure from the government, they make it about the destruction. Like they bring up New York as a, there's like, you don't care what destruction you do. It's like, New York's a bad example because that's flew out of the sky yeah i mean that that is illogical but yeah if they had sorry for 
It's like, sorry for baiting the aliens. Well, <laughs> like the super passive aggressive Avengers. So next time we just won't do anything. Right. <laughs> yeah. If if they had made it more about Ultron and just been like, yeah, no, we get you had to stop him, but like you created him. But it, you're right. It does. It doesn't really make it about that. It's still a good movie, but you know, it's just not. Maybe I think I like. I definitely like Winter Soldier a whole lot more. Uh, this I. I saw on Letterboxd you you as your rewatch rating of Infinity War you you demolished it you dropped it down to two and a half stars uh, that's where it was before okay. <laughs> so I, I kept it the same um, that movie is just a lot of highs and lows for me like I, everything is enhanced too like the more I rewatch it which is like oh man the fight on Titan just gets better and better each time I love that fight so much and I love the journey to Titan that. Doctor Strange and Peter Parker and Iron Man are when, when they're on that spaceship and they have to figure out how to kill the Maw. That's that's really great. And then it just gets to Wakanda and all the stuff with Wanda and Vision. And I'm just like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> but um, but yeah, that's a lot of highs in that movies in that movie and a lot of lows. But uh, the one movie that really changed for me is uh, uh, Guardians Volume Two, which. At the time, I remember, and we talked about this, and, and, and I was not a not as much a fan of them breaking up the Guardians, and a, and I still think it's more fun to have the team together. I did really come to appreciate Rocket's story in that uh, in that movie um, a whole lot more, and also the uh, Star Lord and Yondu story from Volume Two, which. I don't know. I found it really touching. I really liked it a whole lot more. I still don't think Ego is quite as interesting as I want him to be. Yeah. But, but, mm-hmm. and the fight, it's, it's, that fight at the end with Ego is sort of, it's, it's one of those uh, easily um, criticized fights because it is just like, what, what are they fighting? Where is, like, there's no geography. Really, really hard to follow. Yeah. yeah, it's just like just a bunch of colors and lasers and blips and bloops on the screen and whatever. It's fine. But uh, no, but I think the spoiler, the Yondu funeral is uh, maybe the most touching and beautiful scene in any MCU movie. It is on fantastic. My uh, it's my favorite use of music in the series is uh, Cat Stevens, father and son. And I think it is just, I don't know, it really hits me every time when all those ships light up the fireworks and whatnot for Yondu. And it's just, it's it's gorgeous, uh, both aesthetically and also emotionally. Guardians um, 2, also one of the funniest MCU bits ever with Groot bringing back all the random shit. Oh, yeah. Himself. Yeah, that's one really the best funny. MCU jokes ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also Black Panther just keeps getting better and better for me every time I rewatch it. I just love that movie. I think that's, it's it, it's a next level Marvel movie for me, and it might be my favorite movie on this rewatch, just because of how it kind of does all the things that I really like in most Marvel movies, which is it, it's it's the my favorite world building movie in the series. I mean, mm-hmm. Wakanda is just such a breath of fresh air compared to just I mean, sort of the same uh, <laughs> lo- locations and whatnot, but. Yeah. Um, the Atlanta warehouses and Atlanta yeah. airport and Atlanta. <laughs> it's all like gray and concrete stuff. before that. Yeah. yeah. Which which works in a movie like Winter Soldier. I mean, right. it's a very urban movie and it very, yeah, but this, that Wakanda is so fully realized. You get, 
immediately like a feel for how Wakanda functions with all the tribes and everything. It's, it, it's a movie where they don't really have to explain to you very much about how, um, how that country worked. You've got it pretty quickly. Like there's the mountain tribe, there's the border tribe and, and there's the, you know, the, the people in the city and whatnot. It's, it's a very efficient world building. Um, and then that movie also is really bold when it comes to like asking big questions and like making you think about our role in society and whatnot. It's a, it's a very political movie. And maybe that's just something that I like, like, cause I think winter soldier also explored, you know, government and politics and whatnot. And I really appreciated that. And I think this, I think I like the same things in black Panther, which is just like uh, you know, the debate over nationalism and, you know, do you build bridges or do you build borders? And, um, and also like that the, the villain is pretty sympathetic. Like you, I, there's an alternate universe where he's the protagonist of this movie. Um, so, uh, I, I like it. It's a, it's, it's a really, really impressive movie. The more I watch it. Um, but most, most have stayed the same. It's been fun rewatching, revisiting everything, did, especially did you- now. Did you rewatch uh, Spider-Man Far From Home? That was on my watch list. No, I'm not. I'm not fully done yet. The last thing I watched was Infinity War. Um, so, Far From Home will be three movies from now. Four movies from now. Yeah, I, I watched Far From Home, and it's funny you talking about uh, you like for these movies to do like a little bit more. Uh, Far From Home does nothing. <laughs> it, yeah. it's, it is. It's a field trip. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's, it is it is a trifle, um, and I think it's intentionally so after like the heavy events of Endgame. But uh, but yeah, <clears throat> likewise, I, I want my you know superhero movies to kind of not they don't all have to be like an allegory or you know be some yep. like side story to a bigger topic. But you know, there's no mistaking that when some of my favorites are like Logan or. Um, you know, like the Watchmen even, like those obviously have like a, 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 an alternative narrative that they're telling framed within this, you know, kind of silly adventure fantasy world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Far From Home was disappointing. Um, you know, I, I think that if I were just looking at MCU pre 20th Century Fox merger and whatever we are going to get, uh, Spider-Man is probably my favorite superhero um, from that canon, and it's just a bummer that the movie wasn't better. <laughs> yeah, Homecoming was really fun on, on yeah. rewatch. I liked it, and it it is it's not really about big things either. But I just like it because Tom Holland is fun, and also Michael Keaton's great yes. as Vulture. And so it's uh, the first. Really... It's the first Spider-Man movie since like the Sam Raimi days, or like with that like era um, where we've seen Spider-Man as like a believable high school kid because he's running into believable high school kid problems while also mm-hmm. having to shoulder um, some kind of level of responsibility, great responsibility maybe. Um, <laughs> but uh, in fact, I think that's the, the only thing I don't like about that movie is, and it's weird because I love his relationship with Tony generally and I, I loved it in civil war and i love it it's one of the best parts of infinity war and endgame but uh i feel like that movie gets a little bogged down in how like in how it fits into the mcu a little bit because it's like constantly taking the the he's calling tony well the calling tony's and calling happy is fun because he gets no response but 
the visits from Tony and the interactions with Tony take away a little bit for me because I think that movie functions so well as a high school movie and just yeah. as a Spider-Man, like an isolated Spider-Man movie that when it's just him and focusing on his like his sort of small scale problems, I think it's much more interesting. And my God, though, that the homecoming night where uh, Michael Keaton opens the door and um, drives them to the dance, that is just incredible. That's one of my favorite scenes in the series, probably. Yeah, you just get the shot of Michael Keaton's eyes in the rearview mirror as he starts to put together, put the voice to this kid. Because his, his uh, daughter, un- unknowingly, is just completely revealing that Peter is Spider-Man. Yeah. And uh, it's it's very unfortunate. But, uh, yeah, I-, I did really like that movie, too. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to rewatch, I don't know, Ant-Man and the Wasp is next. And I, I rewatched it right before Endgame last year. And um, I don't know. It's it's kind of a trifle, too. Yeah. Um, it's not bad. It's it's certainly a fun movie, but it's just um, pure setup for Endgame. Yeah, I do want to rewatch Captain Marvel only because I did not have a good, a great experience with Marvel in that the uh, theater, and I've only seen it the once. So okay. I'm I'm I do feel like it's time for me to at least give that one another shot. I, I wonder if like I was just too annoyed in the theater at all the '90s references to even give that movie a chance. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I still, I still don't think it'll be that great, but I want to watch it again. And then I'm looking forward to Endgame again. Well, I'm looking forward to you wrapping up your rewatch because in the course of, you didn't mention you were doing this on the last podcast, which was a, recorded a week ago, and you have since watched about 400 hours of movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I, uh, I actually started this when I got Disney+. Plus. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I started from the beginning. I just took like a two-month break. Okay. <laughs> That's all. You remember what year you, when Chris and David were uh, absent, me and you frantically one day put together our MCU rankings? Yeah. I think Avengers was the number one for us, right? Yeah. Was it number one for each of us? Do you remember? Yeah, I think it probably was. Okay. The nostalgia for that movie just trumps all the movies that are definitely better, I think. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I was... And that was when I was pretty far removed from having seen a lot of the movies. So I'm, I'm, I was, I've been re-ranking the series on Letterboxd as I go now because I'm curious as to see how it might change for me Like when the whole series is really fresh compared to ranking them sort of off the cuff. Because um, I do the, think that the, the nostalgia... Playing, I mean, me and you each did that in like five minutes on the patio, you know? Right, right. Like I probably had Civil War, like you know, pretty like top five or so. And it's, it's not, it's probably down towards like 10th or so now. Um, but yeah. It's hard to with some of those movies. Like, I don't know what to do with their rewatchability. Like yeah. the first Avengers is super rewatchable. The first guardians is super rewatchable. I think civil war and winter soldier are great and not super rewatchable just because a lot of, there's not a lot of fun in there. You know what I mean? They're pretty heavy. Yeah. So, and then there's a movie. Their worst movies. If I don't like them the second time, it's hard. Honestly, like if Infinity War is one of the hardest movies to rate because I have some. I have a lot of problems with the movie, and I also have. I get so much enjoyment out of parts of that movie, like more than most movies. But uh, another movie that's hard for me to rate is Doctor Strange, which is just uh, Tony Stark's origin story rehashed, but uh, with way cooler. Um, 
like visual effects visual effects like yeah. it's a story that it's just like yeah, i don't really care i've seen this before yeah Although, we get it the asshole has to learn to be humble we've I, seen this many times but but the line dormammu i have come to bargain and that whole sequence i think is awesome it is, it is fantastic yes it is one of the best resolutions i've seen in a marvel movie but it's uh yeah, the most of that plot doesn't even make a whole lot of sense to me. Like they don't really explain a whole lot <laughs> about some of the stuff. But then again, I don't really need them to if they're just gonna. This is like, show me your doodads on the screen, you know, <laughs> the the whizzes and the bangs and whatnot. And boy, there's lots of them in that movie. Yeah. Also, like it took me like five times watching the first The Avengers movie until I was like, oh, that's why the aliens came. <laughs> the first four times, I just didn't give a shit. I was like, all right, I'm on board. <laughs> This series isn't the best with the uh, the explanations, right? <laughs> like even even watching Infinity War, I was just like, "What do the stones do? Like this? How are the, some of these stones different?" I feel like I feel like sometimes the space stone does things the power stone should do, and vice or the mind stone, and like Thor or uh, I, I don't know. I don't want to get into the weeds on the the Infinity <laughs> Stones too much, but like. <laughs> I feel like there aren't real solid lines between them in, in logical ways, but they're pretty and they're fun. Yeah. Do you have anything else do you watch? Do you want to talk about? Uh, no, Ashley and I restarted. Uh, we were watching the Sopranos together from the beginning, which is, uh, it's been very fun so far, but we're, we're taking it slow. We're still in season one, but other than that, no, not really. I'm good. Cool. Well, TJ's chomping at the bit to do his. So I'm going to ask David, what did you watch? Did you say David? Yeah. <laughs> David hasn't that. been listening. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are lagging a little bit for me. Um, I watched uh, four movies. I kind of stuck up my movie game. Um, and the TV I watched was The Challenge. Maybe we can talk about The Challenge when we do Reality Roundup. So I'm going to try to save time for it. Uh, did it, everybody who watches The Challenge catch up with that? Catch up yes. with it? I'm not sorry yet, but go ahead. Oh, yeah, so don't talk about it on our podcast, please. <laughs> um, so I watched uh, catching up on some Criterion's and uh, and some Best Picture winners. So you're three actually best- not talking about the challenge. No, we're <laughs> waiting for, for reality roundup. I got confused. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I did three. I did. Uh, <clears throat> trying to figure out what to watch so i went back to our spreadsheets of stuff we haven't watched yet and one of them was uh a quest that's now i guess like for me 35 years in, in the making since i've been born but the last couple of years trying to watch all the best picture winners i think i'm down to 19 left out of 92 pretty good um i won't speak too much about these i'll say whether i recommend them and whether they're batshit crazy uh, first one um, I saw was Tom Jones. Has anyone seen Tom Jones? No. 1963 Best Picture winner with Albert Finney's in it. For some reason, I thought this movie was a musical, and it's not. So I was, I guess, starring I was, Tom Jones. <laughs> yeah. Um, I kept waiting for people to start singing, and they just never did. Um, but it's like a it's a satire farce. And it's just so surprising that it swept, swept the Oscars because it's like, I'd say it has like a Benny Hill type energy to it where people just like are running through rooms and running across the countryside with like, you know, the fast motion yeah. kind of run. 
and like the wonkiest piano and obvious music going like it's uh and people speak to the camera and there's like fart jokes and stuff it's like i can't believe this one best picture in 1963 maybe it was like right before monty python came out and people were starving for that kind of thing but yeah it's it's pretty pretty body it's a really like horned up movie um it's uh pretty manic and crazy and it's also not that good pretty lazy and unfocused and it's it's a period piece uh, albert finney's really good in it having not seen a lot of albert finney but liking him especially big fish and aaron brockovich some good uh and the born movies and skyfall some good old albert finney um he's very good as a uh, young man who likes to have sex with a lot of women and this one all the oscars in the 60s the- so if, if any of that sounded interesting go check it out what did it uh have you seen anything that it beat for best picture? And do you think it do, would you have picked like, uh, would you have picked America, America, Cleopatra, how the West was won or lilies of the field over it? Um, probably do how the West was won over that. Yeah. I'm sure that there's like a, a ton of movies that should have been nominated instead. Um, but I, I can't remember 1963 off the top of my head. It's uh, not the greatest, the- great escape came out that year. That's a pretty good movie. Uh, I'd nice. pick that. Yeah, um, I would too. Agreed. So it's a it's a bizarre movie. Other uh, best picture Just done. <laughs> Other best picture movie I saw in uh, the sixties was uh, A Man for All Seasons. It's about Sir Thomas More and uh, his struggle accepting Henry VIII being the head of the Church of England and accepting the divorce of his wife to do an heir. Um, none of y'all seen that? No, I haven't. Yeah. Um, it's got Paul Schofield in it, who I best know from uh, Quiz Show, you know, being the uh, dad of Charles Van Doren in Quiz Show and being an Oscar nom for that. Uh, he's really good in this. It is very, uh, it's very talky, very like political and theological argumentation forming kind of movie, very uh, um, court politics, but the boring verbose kind of version of court politics, not exactly King Game of Thrones style. Right. Um, it's very good. It's very, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's well done at what it's trying to do. It's a very like um, educational, you know, trying to be smart argument about this church and about uh, Thomas More defending his morals, a lot of moralistic argumentation going on between, between different sides. Um, not not exactly a, a thrill ride, you know. It's, 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 not, it's not the Hurt Locker or anything. Um, it's probably something that could be put on in English class when you're in high school and you have a sub, like that kind of movie. But it's uh, Paul Schofield again. Uh, movie's got a great performance, great lead performance. He does a great job, and it's fun to see uh, Robert Shaw as Henry the Eighth. Um, you know, Quinn from uh, Jaws, and he is a. Uh, He's got he's got manic energy. He's running all over the place, singing, shouting, screaming at people, singing songs that he wrote. Um, His character in Jaws is almost a Shakespeare character, so I get it. <laughs> it's like if that character just got old and then he went on the Jaws boat. Yeah, <laughs> just like Jaws he was in the Jaws boat. <laughs> um, the the boat that needs to be bigger. <laughs> That's what it's called. <laughs> 
Um, so I, I uh, quasi recommend it if you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> Um, the last movie I saw was really great. I hadn't seen it before. Watching Marriage Story really wanted me to, really made me want to see it. Was uh, Kramer vs. Kramer? Um, it was uh, really good. Uh, best Jackson. of the bunch. Best Jackson. of my trio of best picture things I've seen. Who wins that movie for you? Um, Hoffman, only because I think the movie sells out streak. At the last minute, have you guys uh, seen that? Crime Severs? Yes, not enough to talk Severs about. Really. Yeah, I don't remember a lot of details. I saw it about fifteen-ish years ago. Um, I just remember that uh, I wound up rooting for Hoffman <laughs> in it, which I was—it's something that I, I when I watched *Marriage Story*, I, I thought was relatively fixed in that st- in that story because I really. I found it hard to root for one or the other. Right. I think the movie is set up for you to definitely be on Hoffman's side yeah. from, from what you get to see. Um, and Hoffman's really good and the kid's good and it's really moving and it's, uh, you know, heartbreaking. The thing that's most impressive to me is like how incredible Meryl Streep was, I guess still is, but especially in her 70s and 80s run, of she has a character that has like nothing to her. It's like no background. There's nothing on the page. She creates like a a um, sympathy machine, like an empathy generator out of her. Um, she does some some despicable stuff, you know, in the in the eyes of Hoffman. But you still, or at least I still, kind of uh, was interested and in kind of rooted for her. Not rooted, but like kind of trying to understand where she was coming from. Especially she's a dynamo court scene near the end. Um, yeah, that she apparently wrote herself because, you know, the script didn't have very much on the page for her. So she wrote it and they shot it like the next day. Looking it up. So nice. Meryl Streep in another of like uh, non-story stories. Meryl Streep may be a good actress. Um, it's it's really good though. I think it's a great companion piece. If you're watching Marriage Story and liked it, you should uh, check out something that definitely inspired Marriage Story is Kramer's Kramer. I think it's pretty undeniable. Cool. So don't recommend, half recommend, fully recommend for your three best picture watches. There you go. <laughs> well, cool. Well, I'll jump in because I watched something that's a new movie that's going to be a best picture winner. Uh, I watched Trolls World Tour. Trolls Tour. Tour. The rural juror. Trolls World Tour. In all honesty, it's it's a it's a pretty silly movie. It's obviously a kids movie. Um, you know, I did the Amazon pay twenty bucks to rent it for forty eight hours, and uh, you know, didn't have a bad time watching it. It's like you know, popcorn. Um, the highlight of the movie is Anderson Pack plays the son of like the king and queen of the funk trolls. Um, and he does like a, a musical esque kind of breakdown of the story so far. Uh, and it's like an original like rap song that he writes and raps and it's fantastic. And it's coupled with like really crazy visuals and shit like going on in the background to kind of contextualize everything in the lyrics. And it's really neat. Um, 
And I think that if anyone's doing the death race this year, you'll have to see this movie because the animation is just fantastic. Everything is animated to look like felt and fabric. And um, like when they go out to, because you know, the story is there's a, the hard rock trolls are trying to get all of the strings from all the different types of music. And so there's all these little tr separate, like discrete trolls kingdoms. I'm very familiar with the story because it was heavily integrated into Top Chef this week. <laughs> like, ran a preview for it, and like an entire thing was dedicated to Trolls World Tour. Yeah, um, but the uh, like they'll go out to like the the country trolls and country music trolls, and uh, like instead of having like desert being just whatever, um, it's all uh, like quilt, and so there's like these little patches of like you know it's a it's a big patchwork quilt out there and it's just it's a neat like kind of visual bit of storytelling for like you know the characters who are the country trolls like you know the the patchwork community and like really everything is like homemade and that kind of shit um you know it's 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 neat um you know is it is it a thing i would recommend to everyone no uh do I think that people should watch it for the animation? Yeah, and the songs are the songs are fun. So, yeah, at least the first one had a fun like jukebox musical thing to it, and the original JT song in the first one was pretty pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 and there's a bit of that here. Um, you know, it's still Anna Kendrick and JT and James Corden as like the lead trio. Um, Ron Funch's character gets a little bit more to do um, as he. Um, is exploring why he's different but the same, which is, you know, the whole point of the movie. Um, uh, but they really kind of dragged out some some legends for it. Uh, George Clinton of Parliament is the king of the funk trolls. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne is the king of the hard rock trolls. Mm -hmm. um, and the whole joke with him is they ask him a question and he does his like, <laughs> and they're just like, okay. Um, Mary J. Blige is in it. You know, there's there's just lot, lots of people. Uh, Kelly was really mad that the uh, um, <clears throat> the <laughs> TJ just found out one of the twists of the movie. Uh, but uh, Kelly was really mad that for the country queen troll, that it wasn't someone like Donnie pa Dolly Parton or uh, one of these like instantly recognizable icons. It was Kelly Clarkson. Um, she thought that that was kind of selling country music a little short. And I kind of believe her. I agree with her, but, you know, it's, uh, it's fun. Uh, the McElroys are in it. They probably have a, a grand total of five seconds of dialogue. Um, the biggest uh, voice work of any of them is they basically rip off, in the intro to this movie, the, uh, the SNL digital short joke, When Will the Beat Drop? Uh, and so Justin McElroy voices the beat drop button. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, um, it's amusing. Uh, don't pay $20 to rent it. Uh, that's what I did and don't do it. <laughs> um, but yeah, other than that and Spider-Man, that's all I really watched this week. So I will throw over to, unless there are any questions about Trolls World Tour. <laughs> Some is that the second? I'll take them off pod. <laughs> yeah, is that is it's the second movie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Any other questions? Uh, David, I see you've got your phone out. Are you checking Twitter to see if we have any? <laughs> yep. Um, so far, we have uh, zero questions. <laughs> as we go through the podcast, though. Okay. Expect that to go up at any minute. Yeah. All right, yeah. TJ, what did you watch this week? I watched two movies, one in like 12 settings because it was so bad. <laughs> I kept stopping. Uh, did anybody ever watch the 2003 sci-fi film, The Core? No. Is that uh, Hillary Swank? It is Hillary Swank, Aaron Eckert, Stanley Tucci, uh, Delroy Lindo, I guess, would probably be like fourth build. Um, yeah, then I, d- I definitely saw it, but I don't remember anything about it, so this will all be new to me. Continue. Uh, it's fucking horrible. It's a half-star movie, which is horrible. crazy, because its budget was I mean, $74 million in 2003. Uh, the premise is the core stopped spinning uh, because the government of the U.S. had reason to believe that another country, unknown, had developed technology to create earthquakes uh, with, like, accuracy. So we tried to develop the technology as well, and in doing that, stopped the core from spinning, which in the beginning made everybody on Earth with a pacemaker die. And then uh, it was essentially going to end the world in like a year because of superstorms. So Aaron Eckert is a a physics professor at a community college. Perfectly casted. (laughs) He figures this out and uh, tells the government about it. So they put together a team, including the community college professor, to go to the core of the earth to set off seven nuclear bombs to start it from to start it to spinning again in a ship that shoots laser cannons forward <laughs> to create a hole for the ship created by Delroy Lindo's character so go ahead and tell us about the things that aren't awesome <laughs> <laughs> uh there's there's so much of this movie that's just so bad. First off, they they don't ever show you the ship in a hole. It's just flying through space. But they spend the first 45 minutes of the movie describing how it's going to create the hole that it's going to travel through. Um, the mantle is full of diamonds in this movie. Everyone knows that. Yeah. That's how Bruce Greenwood dies. He just gets diamonded in the head. When he goes outside of the spaceship, the, the, in the mantle, the Earth ship, yeah. Well, they have they hire astronauts. They're called Terranauts in the movie. Nice. So Hillary Swank's joke. Uh, well, this is that is a logical step forward. If in Armageddon we hire oil drillers to go stop things in outer space, we should hire astronauts to fix things underground. Uh, funny you say that. <laughs> There's a part in the movie where somebody has to die by going out and fixing a thing. And they draw straws, and somebody goes instead of the guy who actually drew the short straw, uh, just straight out of like, if you're going to pick a movie to copy, maybe not Armageddon. <laughs> and then they jam animal crackers into Hillary Swank's panties. Uh, yeah, it's actually Delroy Lindo and Stanley Tucci. <laughs> that, movie is only, that movie is only five years old at that point, too. <laughs> it's not that yeah, old. Yeah, it just, it just come out. Um, I don't know, man. It's, it's awful. The special effects are just horrible. 
the science is there's so many great in English please moments. Like they, 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 there's a montage where they're planning for three months, this trip. And they finally go and it, like the text on the TV is like the uh, Marianas trench, South Pacific. And they get there and Doe Orlando, the guy who built the ship is like, tell me again why we're doing this in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> it's like, y'all haven't talked about this in three months. <laughs> You get to hear Stanley Tucci be like, very on French, that was the part where the crust is thinnest. Um, it's just awful in so many ways. At the end, the way they, they uh, the, the only people that survive are Hillary Swank and Aaron Eckert. And they almost get there. They're like 800 feet below the, the surface of the earth and get stuck and figure out that the way they can communicate with the military ships looking for them is by sending out uh, seismic pulses so the whales will sing to the military ships. <laughs> <laughs> what a beautiful touch. <laughs> and it's figured out by a master hacker played by, uh, what's that? It's got to be DJ Qualls. It's DJ Qualls. Yes. Yeah. Oh, dude, well, they bust into his apartment to get him to, he's, so his job is to uh, make sure the internet doesn't get a hold of any of the info. They don't want the world to know. So he's got to keep the internet quiet. The whole internet. <laughs> That's his job. But when they walk in, he uh, he runs around to all of his desktops to press his control alt delete to wipe his info. <laughs> Throws a bunch of CDs. Like, uh, one of those. You know how like CDs used to sell like the big stack on the spiral? Yeah. He just yeah. throws that well, in the microwave yeah. and turns it on. Um, I like the idea that like DJ calls. It's like, hey, we need you to monitor the entire internet. He's just like, don't worry, I got four desktop computers. <laughs> I am on it. Yeah. Um, but then in the end, he goes to an internet cafe and, and loads up all the info so the world can know. He's like Rorschach. Yeah, <laughs> definitely just like Basically. that. Basically. He, he says, you're um, not stuck in here with me. I'm stuck in here with you or whatever Rorschach says. <laughs> Yeah, I can't believe this movie is a 40% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's shocking that it's that high. Mm. Uh, I thought that it was almost universally panned when it came out. I thought this movie was a punchline. I, I, I just pulled it up like when the podcast started, expecting to see like whatever horrible. And the, the film garnered mixed reviews. Yeah, is what it, it's, the first sentences of the reception. The 48 on Metacritic. A what? 48. Yeah, that's like way too high. <laughs> Way too high. Although in a poll of hundreds of scientists about bad science films, the core was voted the worst, which does not surprise me. <laughs> um, so yeah, don't watch the core. It's on Netflix. Don't let it trick you. <laughs> I was I was shocked because I'd never heard of the movie. Um, but it was very bad. I also watched a 2020 movie though that was better than I thought it was going to be. I watched The Call of the Wild. Huh. Um, the adaptation of the uh, Jack London book starring Harrison Ford and Buck the dog who's completely CGI'd which made the movie look like it was going to be absolutely horrible uh, and it wasn't good by any means but it was, it's a kids movie um, mm -hmm. so the adaptation took that turn and uh, it wasn't horrible The once you get kind of into the, it's hard because the book is from the point of view of the dog and the way they fix that is uh, Harrison Ford is the narrator of Buck's life. Um, the 
from the trailers, it looked like there was a chance Buck was going to be talking throughout this movie, and that looked like it might suck. But uh, it was pretty good. the The whole section of Buck as a sled dog was was really good. Um, uh, but you just you're gonna have to get over the the CGI dog. That's the main problem. Um, but I would recommend it. It's it's uh, available to rent on on Vudu. Um, so. I would hop on and check it out if you're uh, looking for a light movie that's not that long. It was good. I like the Jack London books when I was a kid. Uh, is there, I don't remember seeing a Call of the Wild movie. Was there one with Ethan Hunt or, or Ethan... Uh... That was White Fang, I believe. <laughs> Wait, Wait, Ethan Hawk. Ethan Hawk. I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Five stars. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that would have been how to improve that movie. <laughs> Ethan Hunt. But yeah, we need to check that out. I don't have much else to say about it, but it was uh it looked like it was gonna just be awful. I'm trying to find yeah, it's sixty one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That that's about right. I was expecting it to be like fifteen percent or something. It's a it's a forty seven on Metacritic. I just looked it up. So it's well, we need it to get you on Metacritic. Definitely better than the core. To boost so, it past the core. They fucked something up there. Um, but yeah, that's it for me. Do we want to dive into reality roundup? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. I just want you to know that Roger Ebert gave the core two and a half stars. Way too high. <laughs> Fucking awful. <laughs> and he complimented the special effects. Oh, God. Dude, they were so bad. <laughs> Like the screen when they're driving is uh, the the high tech system they've come up with is that anything that's black on the TV screen the laser cannons can't shoot through. Um, and at one point they're like, "What is this? It's static. They're static on the TV." And Aaron Eckert discovers that static means nothing, and this ship doesn't know how to fly. What? So apparently, when you get to the outer <laughs> core, it's just nothing there. The outer core is literally nothing. Don't think too hard about it, Chris. <laughs> I see you pondering over there. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's do reality roundup. <laughs> so, David, challenge. Do it. Challenge. Um, are you uh, are you caught up, Chris? Have you seen first two? Yeah. We yeah, have our big... we have our first two Red Skull recipients. Um, yeah, the, the, the twist this season for Brent and TJ is that uh, before you could just get in a majority alliance and then ride your way to a final, and then without ever having to go into an elimination and winning, and, uh, you know, there's lots of people whose plan it is to do that. Basically, mm-hmm. play, a, play only a social game to, you know, have a chance to run the final. Um, but now they've introduced a concept where you can't run the final unless you've gone to an elimination and won. I saw that on the trailers for the season. Yeah. Which, yeah. Which the players make, seem to react strongly to. Yeah, it makes it really interesting. And uh, the, I think it's a, big, it's a big reaction against the whole the numbers thing and the cult of Maria you know, horseshit that we kind of saw a lot of last year on the War of the Worlds. Uh, makes it really interesting and kind of changes up a lot of a lot of people's games. Um, also makes uh, D's decision at the end of the second 
episode uh, really baffling. Yeah. Um, but so it's it's what David's talking about with it changing people's games. It what was the smartest strategy and the most tried and true way to get to the finals was to do whatever you could to never go to elimination because you don't know what the elimination is before you get there the same way with like immunity challenges and survivor. And so like some of like the legend people like CT, like he openly admitted during the second episode uh, that he, um, he would physically intimidate people to not put him into eliminations. Like if, if the majority had the choice between CT and someone else, he would like, not like threaten them, but be like, you know, if it's a physical challenge, I will destroy whoever you put there. And then when I come back, I'm coming for you. And like, just through that, and just from like his legacy as a player, would just never go to elimination. And then in the finals, he is like really threatening. Um, but so now everyone wants to go into elimination because they want to get there, like earn their brand basically. So then when, and, and do it early when there's people who are like layups so that, you know, they can get their stamp, they can get their red skull and then they can coast to the final. Um, so it's a, it's a really interesting wrench that I, I appreciate. Yeah. It completely changes up the algebra. Because in backing up to get a red star, you need to like get that early enough so all the lay you have a layup, an easy person you could go up against. To get there, you either need to be voted in by part of a losing team that they're gonna put you there and be against someone that you also want, you know, the top three players are forming a tribunal and picking one person to go against that, you know, the person that the losing team votes for. So you need to be figure out how to be one of those two people. Or be in the tribunal, but then you're worrying about, you know, if you have a red skull or not yet, or, you know, the new twist that was uh, unveiled by TJ's. If you're in the tribunal, you can volunteer for it, which is uh, something that came into play this week. Um, there was a weak person that was in there, and they were going to put an incredibly strong person to go up against them. And one person in the tribunal D had the opportunity to volunteer to go up against this weak person is a rookie who, you know, did really terribly in the challenge. Yeah. From or the amazing race. She's just like some nobody who doesn't know yeah. how to play the game. Yeah. Like, you know, 85 pounds of whatever versus like 180 pounds of muscle that Jenny is <clears throat> in a physically intimidating challenge. But uh, she stuck to her her friendship with Jenny, this like powerhouse uh, player who who was in the game last year, rather than actually get her Red Skull and uh, I don't know, kind of just chickened out at the end. Also, yeah. a person, the amazing race person, is someone that uh, you know she was talking a lot of crap about because the other part of the challenge is the hookups and stuff. You know, they she wanted to hook up with the person I used to hook up with. Yeah. But basically, it's a genius show now. You're saying Red Skull? Yes. Okay. Yes. Guardian of the Soul Stone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, of Hydra. <laughs> it's it, it's going to be an interesting season to see that. Uh, they also have been uh, promoing... That this is the first season that Johnny Bananas and Wes uh, Bergman have decided 
that they won't feud with each other, that they're going to actually work together, which seems oh, like such an so obvious excited. thing. I'm so excited for the the two of them coming up with shit. They're both like usually the funniest parts of their seasons. And to join forces and do their stratagems and weird politics is going to be great to watch. Like them putting Jen the, for, uh, you know, if they're going to vote you in, why don't you make a speech was uh, some of the best challenge television. It was they like really to be really awkwardly fail. Yeah. It was like, it was the most, like there've been like quote unquote bullying incidents on the show before that have like gotten attention from like the network that like they don't encourage that, that have gotten like a bumper at the end that if you know someone is being bullied, call this number. But it was the most clearly MTV sanctioned bullying that has ever happened on the show. They sat this person down who this is their first time ever being on the challenge. They said, you're absolutely going into elimination. You should give this speech here. We'll help you write it. And they gave her like the cringiest, like worst fucking thing that you could ever say. Like, if, if you want me to be in the game, like, why don't you put me up to the end so that then you have someone easy to run against in the final and, like, basically, like, sold herself as a loser, knowing already what the twist was, that you wanted to go against someone weak in elimination so you could earn your brand. And then she, she like, was taking notes and, like, actually on pen and paper and then when it came time for her to give the speech, like, you just think, like, she's a human being. She's not going to fucking do it. She's not going to give this awful speech. But then she does, and then she starts it out by saying, greetings, earthlings. And it was just, like, the most embarrassing bit of TV that I watched. I've watched in a long time, and I'm into season four of Love Island, which is just complete embarrassment from episode to episode. Gross. Yeah, but I'm excited to see what happens this season. I, I agree with you, David. I think that Dee should have gone into the, the elimination. I also see Dee's point. She's somebody she's personally feuding with who's a rookie, and she was a champion from last season, won a quarter of a million dollars, and if she goes in against her and loses, then she like is like, I would never be able to show my face again. You know, yeah, that's if, probably if true. If, that's true, but if you're playing to not lose, I mean, that's not this season, the Red Skull stuff. Right, right. We got to kind of throw all that stuff out, and they're all right. That I mean, you just ensured that you're going up against Jenny in the final. Yeah. And she's like last year, she got outmaneuvered by Tori and something that was more balanced than just power. She just got to overpower her way essentially to the final, unless yeah. they put her in another challenge, which they're probably not going to do. So I just hope that the. I hope that this season leads to another hall brawl between Tori and Jenny. There's a challenge that they do in elimination where they have these two pieces of like 50 foot long plexiglass and it's like just shoulder width length apart. And your job is to run into that hallway and out the other side and ring a bell. And both people start at the same time and they both charge in the middle of this thing. And it is the most fantastic elimination <laughs> Because it's just like two it's people like running as fast as they can into each other. And then like they get in the middle and they just start to like, it's, it's like a rugby mall. They just like are beating the shit out of each other. And then like once they get back on their feet, like sprinting and diving at this bell, it's awesome. It's like if you were designing something that would specifically and effectively cause a concussion, it would be this challenge. Yeah. 
sprinting full force, like directly into each other with no distance to go left or right. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. But anyway, this I hope this season of the challenge is, is as good as it has been so far. Uh, just a quick update for Brent, who's never going to watch it. Um, but uh, your boy Jay, not your boy Jay, but from the world of Survivor, Jay was the first guy to go into an elimination and come out. Oh. Um, so he was, I know a little bit more details about him, I don't know his last name, but he said that he was on the island for Survivor for 37 days. So he made it far um, and is a rock climber. And it just so happened that his elimination challenge was hanging from basically like a trapeze swing uh, by your hands. And the goal was to like kick at this piece of plexiglass to knock your opponent off their like trapeze swing. Uh, but he was like, I'm just going to hang on. Cause I can hang on this thing by my arms for like 25, 30 minutes if I need to. And the other guy gassed out. So, so far the guy from survivor has been playing a pretty smart game. And he even confronted some of the OGs and was like, Hey, so in preparation for the show, I watched all these episodes and I have questions about how you run the social game and like sat down and tried to break it down with them. So it was really cool to see somebody come in from the outside who's played this other reality show and who played it at least well enough to make it to like almost the finale mm -hmm. and be like, this is how I'm dissecting your game. Like, what do you think? Um, so it's, he's, he's a neat addition. Normally when they add people in, it's like someone from Love Island and they're just like, okay, well you're pretty and you cause drama and like you're stupid. So you're going to hook up with someone. They might take you far or they might, you know, dump you from the show because they want to fuck somebody else. Um, but He's doing well. Nice. Speaking of Survivor, we can jump into that. Adam's gone. So, yay? I guess. <laughs> I don't really know. Yeah, I thought Adam was really annoying this season. As a person divorced of context of watching anything that he was in and had won, I found him super annoying, and I'm very glad he's gone. He is uh, uh, wanted Ben gone more. I feel like Ben is annoying me more this season. Um, but, yeah, Adam was not. He was good TV, but he was being quite whiny, I felt like. It's kind of like his original season a yeah. little bit. Um, he won uh, the season Jay was on, by the way. Uh, yeah. He and Jay were um, enemies in the game, pretty blatant enemies in the game, who bonded – uh, due to circumstances in life and whatnot, who uh, even after their bond, though they remained enemies in the game, they just respected each other a whole lot more. Mm -hmm. And it was it was really cool to see. Like he, at one point, Adam tells him they're like uh, sitting together and both like crying because Adam's mom had cancer and Jay's uh, Jay was I think concerned about his mom's health too, and uh, they're they're bonding over that. And Adam's like that's why I can't let you stay in this game because I'm, I've got to win this for her and you're a threat to that. And Jay's like, damn it. I get it. But you know, I'll fight, but I get it. Um, yeah. so, but yeah, Adam, Adam was weird. His, he was the cancer story did run through his kind of season. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, the story had like a super sad ending and his mom died before the live show. Um, mm -hmm. and then he won, uh, I think he won a unanimous victory, didn't he? He did. Yeah. yeah. So he was a clear winner that season. It was pretty, 
known coming in anyway. He did a good job in the last. So he played about as bad as he did this season to this point. And then he had a great ending um, and was left with two people who really didn't have a shot in the final three. He was setting his this season up similarly to the way his season went, which was he kind of got on the outs of everybody in his season. And everybody was sort of irritated by Adam, but they had bigger targets in mind for so much of the season that uh, by it, when it whittled down, Adam and the other minor targets were able to just take out all the, the remaining big players. So I think the reverse happened this season, which is – the big players are just being super careful about making – nobody wants to make the first major move in the game among those who came in with a target on their back. And so, Adam, you know, is is a natural choice then to, to boot from the game because he's not – I don't think anybody was looking at Adam thinking he's playing a winning game right now. Yeah, yeah, which is, I think you got a good chance of seeing Nick go now this week upcoming. He's kind of the last person like that, I feel like. Um, moving forward. But, I mean, it's definitely been full tribe on board the last two, you know, all of both votes since the merge. Um, you know, you had the three Adam votes when Wendell went home from that little alliance. Of, you know, Michelle and Nick, they just left them out in the dark. And then everybody but Adam knew what was happening on this last one. I mean, I think you had votes for Nick from Sarah and Denise, and they were just there as idol protection. Yeah. yeah. It's been an interesting season because it's, it's just it, – a few people have tried to draw a line in the sand, and instantly it flips back on them. And they have to scramble basically just to get things back to the status quo a little bit. Like, uh, people who try to take charge in this game so far have been almost punished for trying that. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, I mean, it's – Like, Jeremy tried these past two episodes – but last episode, he got punished. They sent his friend home. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that he was more or less on board with that vote, but, like, well, once, once you see that happening, right, you, you don't get you on go board. against it. Yeah. And that's how everybody's playing. It happened last week, too. There were all these plans to, like, there was talk of getting Tyson out. But when, you know, when, when that didn't go the way somebody wanted it to, they, they, everybody gets on board with the plan because – I think it's still too early. I think a lot of people in this game have like some deadline in mind where they're just like, get to, get to eight, get to seven, start making my moves there. Cause you don't want to start making them beforehand. So maybe it is just get people like Adam and Ben and Michelle and people and Nick on the kind of on the outside that aren't, don't have a lot of great relationships right now. Yeah. I mean, I, and I can really see like the calculus of that because I think it's easier to, develop and maintain a four-person alliance than it is to maintain a five-person alliance than it is to maintain a six-person alliance. So, like, the more that – and and then, if that's the case, to be in the middle or top of those alliances as they might have to eat their own young um, and not the top in case they want to cut the head off the snake. So, like, that whole alliance membership management is just – seems so fucking difficult that, like, that everyone's playing the Sandra game of anyone but me is not surprising. Right. Mm-hmm. So the, the people that haven't had votes cast for them at all so far this season are Ben, Jeremy, Michelle, uh, Sophie, and Tony. Um, did any of those, like, shock y'all? Tony I mean, is just still, amazing to me. Yeah, if you told me preseason that Tony would 
be here at this point, I would have been shocked. And also that he'd have no votes against him. That's just, I don't know. I feel like you get a little, I feel like Tony's kind of in the middle. I feel like Sophie um, is impressive at this point. And I feel like Ben and Michelle are probably not getting votes because people just don't give a shit. Um, They could easily go out at weeks like 10, 11, and 12. I wouldn't be super surprised. Um, The the thing that rubbies, Ben's been annoying me all season, but last week him just like straight bullying Adam into telling him not an honest answer, but what Ben wanted to hear. I just, Ben would not have done that to anybody else still in the game. That was something he was only going to do to Adam. Um, And that's not really good play in any way for me. I mean, what, like, what's the purpose of that other than pissing off somebody that's probably going to be on the jury? Yeah. Like, it was just because Ben hates Adam. Yeah, he's annoyed that Adam didn't want to play with him. I think he wanted to feel better about going against Adam. Like, he's just like, give me the green light to do this, basically. That's the only thing I can come up with for him. Yeah. yeah the only thing that surprises me about Ben not receiving votes yet, and I get that there are people in this game who – are uh, changing how they played their um, played this season versus their winning season. But like the way that Ben won was from the minority, from the outside, like, and just fucking grinding. And like that they're giving him an opportunity to get to that point where you can grind out a win is just like, like they need, I, I think they need to get rid of Ben this week or next week. And then that's it. Cause He's proven that he can win immunity challenge in his winning season, that he can go and find idols, that he can play advantages correctly. Like the whole truth bomb shit of his season was so irritating to watch because you just, you had to respect it. Like there was no argument for Chrissy to win that season because Ben just did like the ideal for physical game players. And he executed it in a way that, you know, I know that a lot of people say they haven't seen done well before. Mm-hmm. My thing about that season, too, though, is, like, there's so much blame put on Chrissy for not looking for the idol uh, the multiple times Ben went and found one. So I don't know. I'm not saying I know which one is the correct argument. Do we do we say Ben played great or do we say Chrissy and everybody else played shitty? But I know it can't be both. You know what I mean? Like, if you're going to be like, fuck Chrissy, she didn't deserve to win because she let Ben go find idols – that's fine, but you also can't be like, Ben went and found the idols. Like, I don't know. I feel like it's got to be one or the other. If you, you can't have both ways, you know what I mean? Oh, weird. I would disagree. I would think that it's one is not fully possible without the other, kind of. Like, like a good coach calling plays for his good players. Um, like, uh, I don't there's know. A, I, like, there's no middle ground at that point. Like, it's like, with what's the opposite thing for Ben to do? Not go find the idol. That's a horrible play. Or go find the idol and look for it. That's an amazing play. So that's it. There's just like two options at that point. Suck or don't suck. Like suck or be amazing. You know what I mean? I mean, I see what you're saying. I'm just struggling with that a little bit. uh, here's 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 the disconnect for me is that I don't consider what Ben did that amazing, I guess. So I guess it is closer to blaming Chrissy on Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that like you can't, you can't really. I think if everybody is on top of the game out there, you can't – one person just should not be able to find all those idols, even if they are the best. And at the same time, if – I don't know. Like, if one person does, you you kind of can't be 
you kind of are to blame too. So I, I don't know. I, I think it's, I think Ben can't find it without Chrissy being a little passive. And I also think that, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, I, I suppose I'll land more on blaming Chrissy, but yeah. Yeah. I, I just think that, that ben, part of Ben's run, he also won individual immunity mm-hmm. and like, I, like no one yet has talked about the threat of physical players winning immunity and Tony's plan of eliminating layups so that there's only targets left lets that space breathe a little bit that like on a day to day Denise or Jeremy or Tony or Ben or anyone can win. There's not one clear physical threat. Mm-hmm. But I still just like it just doesn't make sense to me why why someone like Sophie isn't on board with like, hey, at a certain point I won't be able to play against a like I will never win immunity. And I get that she doesn't give a shit about winning individual immunity because that's not the game she plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, she doesn't require that to win. Um, but like, you know, do you really want to have to like rehash your options every time because like your target now won immunity? I don't know. It's weird too, though, with that because I was talking to like Brent earlier in the week, and like Tyson's pretty much gone on record right before the season, Brent, of like there are times to throw challenge immunity challenges. Well, his season that he won, he he injured his shoulder in like the first three or four days of the season, and everybody thought he was hurt, um, so they kind of felt bad for him, and also he just sandbagged basically every challenge going forward. <laughs> um, he helped his tribe win when it was tribal immunity. He did yeah. his best there. But once it got to the regular part of the game, he just – I don't think he won anything because he didn't want anybody to view him as a threat. Did he turn it up at all, like at six or whatever? No. No. Tyson yeah. just – he he just uh, managed things. Although his season was a, a weird season because it was a blood versus water season. So it was really good, but it was – he basically – because his girlfriend or fiance was like the first one out, he got to – slowly rally all the people whose loved ones had been voted out to then band together and be like, well, we have to whittle it down to just people without loved ones. And so it was, he came up with a strategy that was easy for everybody to get on board with, but he also definitely uh, he's, he's probably it. If I had to point to a single winning season, when it comes to mitigating your own threat level, I think it is Tyson's season. So he wants to keep the target off him um, and just be, be a bud. Well, cool. Well, any other parting notes about Survivor? Does anyone want to talk about the the human moment of Sarah giving her thing to Nick, or was it complete gameplay, or do we think that the episode did enough of that and we can just gloss over it? The episode definitely did enough of it. <laughs> yeah. Agree. I think it was a weak moment of, of human uh, kindness for her, which she didn't really think about how it would be seen. Yeah. Um, well, okay. Well then that's really roundup. David, I know that, that I'm caught up on top chef now. I don't think that anything that exciting has happened on it except, uh, for the trolls world tour reference. Um, some great spawn con there. Yeah, there's a, it's, it's a good, uh, it's, it's the top chef masters seasons are always good ones to jump in on because more of the characters have a lot of backstory. Um, a cool thing for us, uh, in Georgia is, um, What's the name of the Atlanta chef, David? Do you remember off the top of your head? Uh, oh, Kevin Gillespie. Gillespie. Yeah. yeah, Kevin Gillespie is a local Atlanta chef. 
Um, and he's doing really well. He's won two quick fires and won an elimination challenge. Um, so that's, it's, it's pretty cool seeing a hometown hero uh, from a city that basically gets ignored whenever people talk about the cuisine of America. No one ever talks about Atlanta. It's always like Southern food is Texas and then Nashville and then like nothing below counts. Um, unless you start talking about like collard greens and then you can lump that into like Texas or Nashville. Um, but good season so far, but only a couple episodes in. Yeah, pretty fun. Uh, people making good food and uh, looks good. It makes yeah. me hungry every time I watch it. Yep. Yeah. Um, anyone got any breezy want to talk about? Uh, I saw that uh, Disney is going to be doing uh, their their uh, live action slash animated uh, rendition of Robin Hood apparently so cool if you're into those movies you got more to look forward to. <laughs> yeah um i saw that uh there's there's a weird uh there are weird puzzles being dropped from elizabeth olsen's official uh instagram about that relate to the release dates of the tv film miniseries whatever they are for loki and wandavision um she's posting cryptic messages about like when she's planting her uh, garden, when the tomatoes are going to bloom versus the parsley. And it's just like fucking strange. Um, but people are like going buck wild about it. And if it's real, then Elizabeth Olsen is like leaving more clues. Uh, but there's a chance that it's not. And she's just fucking with people because what else has she got to do these days? Um, but it's, it's interesting if you wanted to check that out. Um, it's up. weird. It's weird to me that they've uh, selected kind of the three characters that I was pretty much done with <laughs> by the time the <laughs> MCU has gotten to this point to to make a TV series or multiple TV series about. I mean, I love Loki for a while, but Loki just showed up too much. I think Loki played a part in too many movies uh, for my taste because it's just the same thing over and over again. I can't imagine a TV series is going to shed that much light on on Loki that we don't already know. And then nothing sucks the energy out of an Avengers film like Wanda and vision <laughs> for me. But the cool thing about their show is that it looks like it's going to be kind of clever. like, yeah, like a, like a, like a pastiche of TV cliches. Um, just, you know, kind of jumbled up together in like the weird dimension that the two of them now inhabit um, her with her like crazy class one mutant powers and him with being the embodiment of all things that anyone can think of. Um, so I think it's going for a really like absurdist bend. And if that's what they do, then I'm like kind of into that. Almost yeah, like a Legion style show. Or like the upset could be, it could be like Maniac, trying on a bunch of different genres and a surrealistic twist. And I think the Loki show is going to be what happened in the alternate timeline in the Infinity War films. Uh, until they reset everything. Once he takes the orb and leaves uh, when they go back in time. Yeah. So I think that that's going to be set in between that and them fixing the, closing the time loop, essentially. Hmm. So. But yeah, so interesting stuff. Uh, it's on Elizabeth Olsen's Twitter. Uh, you can go fucking wild with it. Um, other than that, I got nothing. Universal has, uh, I think, announced that they're remaking Night of the Hunter. 
Yeah. Which, which, you know, first instinct is that movie's perfect. Why do you need to remake it? You can go nowhere but downhill. But I don't know. Invisible Man was good, so maybe hand it to the right people. It could be good. Yep. It'll be contingent on who's going to be the Robert Mitchum character, right? If it's someone like Ray Liotta, I'm going to like immediately know, oh, this guy's evil. Why doesn't everybody know that? <laughs> kind of that way with Robert Mitchum, too, though. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> uh, we got some movies coming out, VOD and streaming services this weekend. Um, I guess the, the biggest one, uh, it's kind of a down week, is uh, My Spy starring Dave Bautista and Chloe Coleman and Christian Shaw. Um, about the girl, from what I've seen in the trailer, I haven't read anything else about it, but a girl who finds a, a sting set up, essentially, uh, with the CIA, and uh, they let her play along, is what it looks like. <laughs> a very, very uh, odd plot, but it's a kid's movie. It looks kind of cute. Peter Siegel directing there. And then a couple of Sundance films are hitting uh, some streaming services. Sella and the Spades as a... Uh, uh, hitting Amazon Prime, and it's a uh, Sundance movie about a girl who uh, sells drugs with a little click in her high school, and is graduating and is trying to figure out like how to continue that business for the group of people that she's selling drugs with. Uh, once she leaves, she's kind of in charge. Uh, it's a debut film. Uh, Tyrisha Poe directing and writing there, and then Sergio is uh, another Sundance film that was actually competing there. Um, directed by Greg Barker, who made a documentary in 2009 about Sergio Vieira de Mello, who was a uh, humanitarian with the UN who died in a bombing in Iraq. Um, starring uh, Wagner Mora, who does not have a Wikipedia page, in the lead, and Anna de Armas as his wife. Um, but, Isn't Wagner, Wagner de Mora from... Uh, Narcos? Oh, he actually does have a Wikipedia page. I apologize. Um, <laughs> yes. He was, he was, he's the guy who played Pablo Escobar in uh, Narcos. First two seasons. <laughs> so that's a passion project for this director and writer, it looks like. Uh, like I said, it's the guy who made the, the documentary a decade ago is making a film uh, about that sad story. So that's what you got this weekend. Man, out of those, I'm probably picking my spot. <laughs> just don't want to be any any more upset about anything right now. It does seem the sunniest. The CIA yeah. at CIA at, at its most whimsical. It sounds like. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna pick Sergio because I'm a big fan of Anadarmus, and that's basically the only reason why. Fair enough. Same. <laughs> same go. reason. Same pick. <laughs> David. Also, Bradley Whitford's in that movie, so. I like him oh, too. You, you got me with the B wit. Now I'm, I'm on board with that one too. <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, Sergio takes it. So uh, check that out. It is hitting Netflix on Friday, April 17th. Um, so check it out there. Anybody else got anything? Takes out. I've got an outro. Okay. Do it. Well, thanks, everyone. This has been uh, Talk Talk, the podcast at MediaBias.com. You can find us on our Facebook groups, TV Bias, Movie Bias, Games Bias, or like our page there. You can send us an email to MediaBias at gmail.com. You can tweet us at the Media Bias. Please rate us on your favorite podcasting app. Five stars would be appreciated as we continue to piece this trash fire together during the quarantine. Uh, you, I want to give a special thanks to the intro music by the Willow Walkers. Willow Walkers. 
Special thanks to the outro music by Burifa. And I want to thank you guys for joining me today. So thanks, David. Thank you. Thanks, Brent. You're welcome. Thanks, CJ. Anytime. All right, bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town slowpokes long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know. All the things that I know.